Hi, welcome to Grey Area. My name is Karen, and today we have Haiti-born, New York-based producer, DJ and label founder, Francis Messier. His creations, spanning across various genres of house, but particularly excelling in Afro house, I would say, have topped Beatport charts and um, seen him play at some of the US's major stages, as well as those of um, major European cities. And uh, fun fact, he's even had his music licensed by Netflix. So <laughs> welcome, Francis. Um, hey, thank so, you so much for having me. Yeah, <laughs> glad you liked it. So um, you were born in um, Port-au-Prince, and is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Um, how long did you did you live there? I mean, do you speak Creole? I love the language. Yeah, cre cre Creole is my native tongue, together with French. Amazing. I actually lived in Port-au-Prince for eighteen years, so I'm like uh, a full Haitian, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that does make sense. <laughs> yeah, I, uh... and, um, cool. I mean, that's obviously a lot to kind of talk about music-wise there. I uh, I did a lot of research into Haiti when I was writing my dissertation, uh, actually, oh, nice. because it was about um, Cuban Santeria, which is very similar to kind of Haitian religion as well. It's like a sister branch. So wow, little bits. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about when it comes to Haiti. It's such a rich and vast uh, culture and you know the history in Haiti is is, is quite dense, so it's definitely a, a, a subject matter that can you can really dive in and learn yeah. so much from it. If that makes sense. And do you do you still go back quite a lot, or? Um, not too much actually. I haven't been back to Haiti in a really long time, at the exception of this past uh, Christmas. Okay. Um, I, I went for for performance. It was my first time actually performing in Haiti. Oh, that must have been really yeah. special. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I was there for 48 hours. Amazing. And it was like something really special for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, that's great. So, um, and how did your musical tastes kind of, uh, I would say, I mean, how were they influenced by growing up there? You know, what kind of music were you surrounded by growing up? To be honest with you, in Haiti, there was a compa, which is, uh, I would say, uh, some similarities with uh, salsa, merengue, and like the Afro-funk and uh, the kwasa kwasa, I would say it's, it's, it's somewhat relevant, like zouk, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it has its own unique um, music format. But growing up, what really made it different for me being from Haiti is the fact that I went to an international high school and Haiti being like... Uh, I would say an island with so many influences, with French influence, African influence, and most importantly, influence from the US. I was exposed to a variety of music, right? I was exposed to American rap. I was exposed to American pop because the proximity between Haiti and Florida. I was also exposed to you know, French music and uh, African music, given that um, Haiti was a French colony at some point. And, French being the native tongue of, 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 of the, a lot of Haitians, if that makes sense. I mean, Creole being the native tongue, but French being also part of like the, the language that's spoken commonly amongst Haitians. And me attending like an international high school, I had friends from Ethiopia, friends from Senegal, Nigeria, and obviously, you know, a lot of people from the US that I was close with. And from there, I think it gave me like a very broad kind of opening in eyesight on uh, different musical genres, which kind of explains why I'm such a diverse kind of artist, which, you know, I create like different kinds of music. I have different kinds of influences and it always keeps me, I would say, yeah, interested in, in, in variety. So I think growing up in Haiti has uh, really developed my, my taste and appreciation for variety if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think that's really interesting when you get a lot of different influences. Something special always comes out of it, I think. <laughs> and, I mean, um, for sure. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah, I say that because I, I grew up in a in a mixed household and we heard all kinds and it definitely influenced me a lot today as well. Yeah, I mean, as a DJ, right, what makes you cool and what makes you as a producer as well is the fact that, you know, you can dabble and appreciate different kind of music so which has 
really defines my musical journey because I went from different genres over the years to appreciating and understanding different kinds of music and being able to adapt so quickly within the Afro house world, for example. It's because I'm very like a flexible kind of mind in terms of music. Yeah, you've got to be able to keep people on their toes. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And um, did you have any, you know, as a teenager, what was your favorite kind of music? Um, yeah, like, like I mentioned, there were different eras, right? Really? At some point, yeah. at some point, I really loved the band called King Posse, which is a Haitian band. And it was like a mixture between hip hop and like American pop. And it was in Creole, right? Cool, yeah. And it had its own swing. It wasn't reggae. It's it, it, it's unique on its own. It has a it has a hip hop hip hop flow to it. And the melodies are very intriguing. That was like, you know, a, a band that was like really shining. A lot of the young kids in in the that were like around 10 in the in the in the 90s, in the late 90s were really like raving about them, right? And also there's a Haitian carnival, and they used to do like amazing carnival songs. So th that really influenced me. I, I really appreciate that. And at the same token. I had proximity to the U.S., so I was able to hear the early Tupac, the uh, Aaliyah, and obviously the era of 50 Cent. That was really big. Like the mm -hmm. the hip hop scene was just like humongous. And at the same token, you know, growing up a bit later, I, I was able to have like friends from like uh, all parts of the world, including some from Ethiopia, and they introduced me to reggae. And, you know, I, there was the era of Bob Marley, of uh, Black Uhuru, and the whole reggae movement, if that makes sense. And I also liked uh, bands like Postal Service, which are more emotional and kind of, when I started listening, I went from hip hop and kind of American pop to reggae. And then I got to like emo kind of indie bands from the U.S., and suddenly I discovered electronic music, which is like the old Tiesto, which is like very melodic and very dreamy. And that really caught my attention. That was when it, you know, I was like, wow, this is something else. And that's when I left Haiti um, at the age of 18 and I came to the US and, you know, electronic music was very accessible in the US. I mean, at the time there were these CDs called In Search of Sunrise that uh, Tiesto used to release. I think it was on uh, Black Hole Recordings. And yeah, they were like musical journeys. It was like three hour DJ sets with like a bunch of different tracks and Tiesto would take you like on a journey, if that makes sense, yeah. And yeah. that really influenced me growing up. That's really cool. And was that, you know, was that something that you discovered before coming to the US or? Um, yeah. I, I, the Tiesto soundtrack were kind of relevant in 2004, 2003, 2005, that time frame. And that's when YouTube started becoming something. And that's also when internet became somewhat accessible to students or like people in Haiti. So it was quite slow, the internet, but I used to watch like, uh, YouTube videos of Tiesto. And I was like, wow, this is, oh my God. Like I hear all the music, all these scents, all this emotion. It was just like so new to me. I was like, wow. And when I came to the US, you know, I was like, I have to see this like in person. And I went to some concerts and yeah, from there, it's it just the electronic music just grabbed my attention fully. And I was like, I want to do this. I want to learn how to DJ. I want to do emotional music and that's what happened I love it such a such a good story and um was that I mean did you study music was that did you oh no not at all I I just had an avid taste for you... music I just always loved listening to music I I, I used to love to try to sing just, I'm oh. a terrible singer <laughs> but <laughs> like uh, I used to love to try to like mumble and whatnot <laughs> and yeah when I it was just always a passion and it you know a passion turned into a drive an interest which then turned into kind of like uh, work and from there it, it became 
something. I mean, you know, I was like first just interested by the music. I really loved it. It was something that was keeping me kind of grounded and and kept me positive because when I when I first moved to the US, it was like in the winter and I had never seen wind, you know, fall. Mm. Like you know, trees losing leaves and like change of time zone and yeah, it's depressing. <laughs> I was like, whoa, wow, 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 wow. So music was really something that kept me kind of happy and gave me some sort of like comfort. And I, I was always listening to music and I was like, you know, and I started attending concerts and all this uh shows and I was like, wow, I, I actually want to learn how to do what what these guys are doing. And I got my first pair of equipment and I was doing it for fun. And <laughs> At some point, I you know I was like, wait, there are some parties happening on campus because I was studying in Providence. That's what I came to the US for. It's like, why don't I try to DJ at those parties? So I just reached out and they were like, okay, sure, you can try. And it started making revenue. Amazing. And I was like, and I'm kind of an ambitious person. So I was like, okay, if I can play frat parties, maybe I can play in a club. <laughs> I started playing in clubs in Providence. I was like, maybe I can play in New York. <laughs> And just catapulted. In New York, I started my event planning company. And then, yeah, it was just history after that, right? Okay, so you were kind of always on that journey since since coming over. Yeah, you you know, I'm I'm a very, I have a very addictive personality. And I was like, I want to try and be a DJ. I want to (laughs) play parties. I want to play for people. You don't want to be a DJ just to play in your room. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to New York. I I, want to try and play. New New York is the city of opportunity. If you put your mind on something, you will find someone that will buy into it and give you an opportunity. So at first, I tried to go to some of the best clubs. I, I think it was Cielo. And there was this other club called Sullivan Room, which was like, you know, a huge club in the early 2000s. <laughs> I was ambitious. I was like, I want to try and go there. And I show up at Sullivan Room and I had like a little controller thingy that's how I learned how to DJ and I see these guys with all these equipments and I'm like what how can I learn this maybe I can (laughs) hire one of them to like give me like some sort of tutorial long story short I tried my best but you know these mega clubs they would be like we don't know of you we've never heard we're booking artists from over the world like we can't help you sir please step outside (laughs) (laughs) yeah so at that point I was like okay then I, I said, you know, maybe I need to start smaller. So I went to like a, 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 like a cocktail bar that was hurting for business. They had like no business. It was just empty on like a Friday and Saturday, maybe five people inside. I was like, guys, can I please play music? I'm going to bring a crowd. Obviously, owner here is bring a crowd. He's like, okay, sure. Bring speakers, do whatever <laughs> you want inside. So I started playing. I was playing like... A, almost every weekend and throwing parties in New York while in school. Oh, you were still in school? Yeah, I was still in school in Providence. I was, it was my sophomore year. I don't, I don't even think I was 21. I was like 19, but I had like a Haitian fake ID. (laughs) It worked. And I was, and I was playing and it was, and this was the era of, of when Facebook was becoming very popular. So that's the time when, if you received an invitation on Facebook, to an event, you're like, oh my God, somebody invited me to an event. You have to attend, right? <laughs> so what I would do is I would hire all these college people and I would tell them, I would give them like, I don't know, 50 bucks and be like, invite all your friends to the Facebook oh, event. And people would be like, wow, there's a DJ coming from Haiti or something. And I would make these posters and it would work. That's amazing. That's work. Like a one-man marketing and everything team. Like you've got to hustle. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I hustled my way to it. Even in college, like, I used to play these frat parties and I used to tell the frat guys, hey man, if you let me play, I'm going to crush it. And I would go take part of my fee and give it to like 10 key friends and tell them invite like 500 people to the Facebook event. The Facebook event would be like the most popular hit thing on campus. (laughs) Yeah, and it just worked. The same model worked in New York. In New York, I, I had to be a little bit more creative, but I had to like talk to people in different universities and different groups and it worked really well and just the demand grew and people started to get to know me and obviously i i improved from the cocktail club now i had interest from like this uh this nightclub that used to be called uh 
I forget the name. It was in, in Times Square. Touch, Club Touch. Okay. They had like a, they had an, an they had like a, a third floor on top of the main room and it was like a 200 person club. Oh my God. Like a VIP room. That makes sense. And I was like, <laughs> it wasn't as good, as prestigious as the main room. The main room was like a main thing. Like there was DJ Clutch, <laughs> DJ AM, Little John was performing in the main room. It was like a big nightclub. They used to put Paul Oakenfold in the main room, but I was just added in the flyer. I was like, wow, I, I made it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, definitely. It's such a, I love hearing these stories of people that just hustled really hard and were original and made it. It's great. Yeah, and at some point I was doing way too much. So I was traveling to New York almost every weekend. So it kind of affected my studies and I was very close to not finishing um, uni and I think the dean reached out to my parents and was like, something <laughs> happening with your son. We don't know what's going on, but the grades were really bad. Like, he just failed a bunch of classes. So I was like, whoa, okay, there's a chance that I did not graduate. So my parents called me and they were like, listen, at that time, there was an earthquake in Haiti. Oh, so yeah. they were like, you know, we like, you're lucky to have every one of us alive. My sister had moved to the US um, in emergency because of the earthquake. She got like asylum and it's just like a lot. So um, they really wanted me to like focus on my studies and, and, and achieve what they wanted me to. So I took like a step back from all the event planning. I had a partner at the time, so he did like most of the event planning. So I, I, I played a little bit less, but I still had my events going and I was just working remotely. So I used to book DJs and I, I created a business like that. And the business was creating enough revenue to the point where after graduating, I was like, okay, I could work in a bank. And I had an offer to work in some bank in Buffalo. And I was like, I'm not going to be outside of the city. I need to be in Manhattan to be able to DJ. So I was like, I'm just going to find a, a gig, some sort of work in Manhattan when I finish. But when I finished, I moved to New York and I was like able to sustain myself. I was like, wait, why don't I need to do a job? Let me just do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I did it from 2012. I did it for two years, fully event planning. Then I took a sabbatical in 2014 to just learn how to produce. And I launched my label and I'm here now. And you're here now. Yeah, great. And I mean, it's it's crazy to think, I mean, surely your family now must kind of look back on that time and realize that, you know, it was also really important for you to be getting out there playing as much as- Absolutely. They're very supportive. They, under, they understood the journey. But it's also a good thing that, you know, they push me to finish my studies and kind of get some sort of a backup because it's always good to have something to fall back on. You never know what's going to happen in life. And most importantly, the discipline to be able to achieve a project fully, because I, I went to prestigious university. I went to Brown mm. to be able to finish this kind of project and, and claim your degree. That means you can't do anything. So that's why I'm a, I don't stop till I reach my goal. You know, that's why it took me seven years to now, I can say, really make noise in the industry to be able to perform, travel all over the world. Like I've tried year after year after year after year. So you say you don't stop until you reach your goal. What's your next goal? Um, I want to be, I, I would love to be able to be an ambassador of world music. I would love to be able to merge um, cultures, be a bridge between Africa to Europe to the US and be able to represent music on a global scale you know I would love to be like a, a household brand that people rep, you know respect and I'm able to empower smaller artists and bring new sound to the to the main stage you know that's my ultimate goal because I feel like you know you have to give people something different and I, I want to be able to inspire I want to be able to support and to give back to the community in every way that I can that's really my mission statement so that's why you know in my music I collaborate with every kind of artist small to big I give artists opportunities I even launch an, a management company I have my record label I just sign a lot of different music just because it's more fun you know, together, I feel like it's it's more fun. It's 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 more pleasant. So, as my goal is to become like a 
a strong enough, big enough artist to be able to support, empower artists and create original music and bring something different to the main stage. Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. I, uh, I can see it already. And so kind of um, moving back to kind of the topic of New York, I guess, um, how do you find, you know, you're based in New York still now, is that correct? Yeah. How do you find that kind of um, New York has kind of, either there have been kind of changing appetites in the dance music scene in New York itself, or, you know, whether you feel like um, your sound has been kind of guided by what's been going on in the New York kind of dance music scene. Um, I guess what I'm really trying to get to is kind of, what has guided your kind of move, your evolution in your music, you know, especially towards Afro house and after dabbling in different genres? To be honest with you, you know, I wouldn't say it's New York. I wouldn't say it's, it's anything. I would say it's just, it's just interest. It's just interest. Prior to the pandemic, you know, I was making classic house and like tech house. But I started listening to Black Coffee and to like this artist called Night Freak and this kind of emotional African house music. And it was so emotional. And I was like captivated by it and just glued to the music. I used to listen to, to, the, to this track called um, My Africa, um, the Night Freak remix, okay, by an artist called Antonio Lyons. It has a very powerful speech about Africa and where it explains that, you know, Africa is not a jungle. It's not a place of, of, of war. It's not a place of, uh, of, of fighting, that it's, it's a beautiful, it's just a speech, very powerful speech. And there's a beautiful guitar and a beautiful vocal. And that track really captivated me, which is kind of crazy because now I represent and I, we manage this artist called Night Freak and he's remixed many of my songs, but his song really was something that cap captured my attention. And during the pandemic, obviously, you know, I had time to reset and to fall back and to try something different. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what? I, I want to challenge myself. I want to try and do a different sound. I want to try and do, because I always loved melodic music, but I was never able to produce it. I never had the window to produce it because at the time it wasn't very much relevant. You know, when I started becoming a producer, there was a huge EDM bubble. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do EDM, so I did Future House, which is not the most emotional. Then there was Tech House to be relevant. You know, I was like, I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to do Future House, so I started doing Tech House, Classic House. But during the pandemic, I was like, you know, I have time to myself and I can make whatever I want. So I started with the Afro House and I tried to craft Afro house music. I tried to work with different samples. It was challenging at time. At, at first, I was I didn't really I wasn't very proficient at the in the genre, but it was a learning experience, and the community was so welcoming. And my first record did really well. I, I was like, okay, this is actually working. It's a little bit less competitive, if that makes sense, in the sense that people were more supportive and more welcoming. Mm -hmm. So I was like, maybe I should try and do that. And yeah, I did a few records in that, in that space. I, I was able to sign one of them to Spinning, Spinning Deep. They took a chance on the, on the genre. They did the Premier Gao track. I did made, made a track for Blondish's Abracadabra. I also launched my own Afro House imprint just to diversify our, 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 our label and to have like different imprints for different genres. And it was just like a, warm experience for me to be able to try something new mm -hmm. by interest and coincidentally bridging different cultures what I really love doing has given me I would say some sort of relevance you know people became interested in my music right from uh, these records I, I got a lot of support I would say a little bit more than when I was doing a classic house Okay. And so, so you diff of... Different support, different support. When I was doing Classic House, I had support from, you know, David Guetta, Tiesto, Clapton, which is great. But when I started doing Afro House, I started seeing support from Black Coffee, Blondish, which is a little bit more 
kind of like exotic and i was like wow this is cool like, oh my god so i so i started yeah. getting the, the genre right different community for sure different community it's and, and like, much more welcoming if, I, if that makes yeah, sense it's warm it's very like um yeah yeah probably also less kind of come i mean still commercialized obviously but you know on a different scale i would say yeah, I mean, very um, different scale. It's, uh, yeah yeah that's really cool i mean it's cool that you can tap into the different i mean it must be very satisfying knowing that you know you kind of made it in one sector and in another as well you know you've tapped yeah into kind of Big. absolutely and, and now what i'm doing is i'm i want to bridge you know i want to just dabble between both and kind of create my own lane my own flavor yeah not go fully afro house and like a shaman who's like in two months that's not what i want to do <laughs> nor do i want to go like you know american tech house or like uk tech house i want to do my style of music yeah <laughs> Good. That's what you should be doing. Not copying other people for sure. <laughs> and um, yeah. And speaking of, I want to talk a bit about your latest release on Insomniac Records. Um, oh, yeah. I, mean, I was particularly kind of, I, I'm a huge Mariam and Amadou fan. My mum and I have the, um, wow. the, the Dimash Bamako CD in the car and we listen to it on all of our road trips. I love yeah, it's, it. it's a very special duo. It's they have beautiful. like uh, anthems you know that cd that you mentioned is like huge in europe yeah 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 even it's i mean it's really actually they're very very famous in the uk i would say um they actually played at one of the really big like dance music festivals which was really cool there's a lot of interest we're, we're, we're gonna try and bring him to new york for a big showcase yeah, that would be really cool <laughs> um but yeah, and anyway, so that's kind of what drew my eye to it. I mean, do you want to talk a bit about it, like how it came to be? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Amadou and Miriam were like legendary duo. I, I love their music. I wasn't really familiar with it. I didn't grow up listening to it. But through my search of African music, through my search and educating myself, I was able to work with, I was like, okay, let's try and look for like the most, the most inspiring African records and kind of give it my twist and kind of revive it. I felt that was kind of original. So I did Premier Gao first, which is which samples Magic System. I would say probably the biggest uh, band from uh, Africa and in, in, in the modern world. And uh, they had the huge record. So after that, I, you know, Amadou and Mariam also drew my attention. And the city composition was very special with the guitar Mm. And just the energy of the of the music was yeah. really phenomenal. So I was like, let me let me give it a try. Let me let me try to like uh, speed it up, add some drums, some body to it, and it sounded great. So I played it in the club for some time. Unfortunately, because of COVID, clubs had to shut down. Mm. So I I produced this like right at the beginning of COVID. And I kept it for two years and, you know, I was trying to like uh, clear it. And luckily I was able to find the right holders of Premier Gao. And coincidentally, they also own the rights to, to Sete, oh. which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a friend of mine who used to be the, the ex-president of, of, of uh, ex, he used to be the vice president of EMI mm. back in the day. And he has a huge catalog repertoire. So I was able to reach out to the artists as well to get their approval. They liked it. And, you know, I really wanted to get like uh, Blondish's touch on it, you know, just to, to have her give it that extra spice. And she jumped on board. She loved the record, my draft, when she heard it. And she put the final touches and, you know, took some time because we, we really wanted it to be, to be perfect. And we really wanted to release it at the right time. And we kind of held back up until the world freed up. Yeah. Which is now to release it, right? When COVID kind of calmed down. Yeah, it's, it's a full it's a full-on dance record. Yeah, it is. And it, it all comes together so like warmly and richly. It's just I really loved it. And the, the message of the music is I didn't know of the message till after the song was produced. Uh it's actually uh Ahmed and Miriam were blind, both of them. And the song City is a song of hope to let blind people know that they're born the way they are and they should just be positive and, and give the best and not let 
people's criticism or opinion affect them. Mm. For me, you know, that's such a beautiful message. It gives strength to like blind people. And it's such a, I didn't know of this till after the song was produced. And it makes it even more, gives me more feeling to it, to it when I'm playing it, when I'm performing it, you know? Definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's a song of freedom. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it can be applied to so many things. It's, it's really beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. And and we I like the record because it's a mixture of genres. It's Afro house with a touch of tech house, mm-hmm. right? With the bass line that's like quite yeah. groovy and jacking. And it's working really well. Um, it's kind of crazy. Today, we just received a video of Fisher performing it live in France. No way. Killing I mean, a lot of artists have played it, you know, for every, everyone from Gorgon City to Danny Howard to Jeremiah from BBC Radio 1 in the UK. And also a ton of artists, Wax Motif, have been playing it. And I also saw Gorgon City play it live in uh, during Miami Music Week. And it slaps. Does really well. Tiesto played it <laughs> in this radio show. So I'm really happy to see the record. Definitely. And I'm happy to see, you know, the Afro house kind of taking a stance and being relevant. Stage, literally, yeah. Yeah, it's it's also charting right now. I think we're number four on Beatport. Amazing. Yeah, the main charts, which is, I think that's my highest, highest, (laughs) highest ranked record. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll see. I, I I reached number three on Deep House. But I never made it to the top 10. This one is number four. That's, that's something. Top 10 main charts is, is something. And, you know, we, we, we've reached like, a, I think, a million plays and nearly a million plays in like a little over two weeks. Wow. It really so, went down well. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 I have to be very thankful for my team, for Insomniac Records. You know, they're very professional and for... Um, my entire management team, the PR agency I work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a blessing, you know, to see people being so supportive of the Afro house of this composition. We've made it to like huge playlists such as Dance Party, such as Housework, um, mm-hmm. and also Mint, which is kind of very rare. To make it on Mint is, is yeah, uh, huge. with a dance record, it's it's something <laughs> cool and um i'm sure we'll kind of be seeing much more of it over the next few few yeah. weeks or months even i'm sure it's going to be yeah tracks take tracks take time to, to simmer and yeah to grow. see who picks it up for sure I, but i mean it's actually, one of my record premier gao which is for me it's it's a record that helped me establish my name within the space I was, I'm in Tulum right now. I was performing on Saturday. Last night I went to Black Coffee and he was playing it and they played it twice. And oh, wow. that really, that song was released last February, not this February, February, 2021. Yeah, yeah. We made remixes and you know, the track is now really, really grasping people's attention. Adam Port was playing it in Coachella, Black Coffee in, in, in Tulum and at Zamna, people playing it in, in France and Miami, all at the same time, you know. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So track a track takes time to really, yeah, gain you know all of its strength. So City having such a beautiful sample, and you know the team behind it, Blondish involved, and Amadou and Mariam. I think the track is really gonna you know gain a lot of reach over the years, and we're also gonna do amazing remixes. Um, for the composition. We have a remix, obviously, by Night Freak, one of my favorite producers, um, by legendary Carlita, and one of the best producers out there um, called Hugo. Hugo is like, uh, he, he does like a touch of Latin house. So uh, he, he did something really special and I can't wait you know, for it to drop. So we have like a, a remix pack coming up and in addition to the original. So I think it's going to be a lot of city going on. Yeah, amazing. Well, looking forward to, to hearing those remixes for sure. And um, 
you, you have to come to my shows to, to hear them. I, I've been playing them on the road. I would love to. I mean, yeah. Do you, do you ever come to the UK? Uh, yeah, I just played in the UK. I played at Raffles in London. Oh, no way. Oh, wow. Yeah, two weeks ago, they had Martinez Brothers. Last week was I played. And then I think, Raffles. or last week, they oh, had a, fancy. They, they had Jaden Thompson as well. Cool. I did the lineup. It was really nice. It was a great performance. Uh, really nice show. It's a beautiful venue. It's a bit more intimate. It's very exclusive, Raffles. <laughs> yeah, I played in, in, in Madrid as well while I was out there. So I did like a little European run. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like played three three different shows that weekend. It was, I think it was uh, not last weekend, but two weekends ago. What are your um, favorite venues in Europe? Um... I think in Paris, I think Lark is my favorite. Uh, just, yeah, they, they love they love my music. They love Premier Gao when I play it. Everybody has their phone out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a great club, you know, the, the oh, atmosphere is really nice. Yeah. You've never been to Lark? No, have you been I've never to been. Paris? I've only been to Paris once when I was very, very young. Okay, well, Paris is a train right away from the UK. I know, I should go. I only ever really, I stick to kind of London and Berlin, but I need to expand my radius. So. You should. <laughs> um, I'm performing in Paris on May 12th. May 12th? Okay, I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. You should, no, for real. It's are, you, are you off on, on Fridays or no? Um, well, you know, depends. I work in the music industry as well. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's May 12th is a Thursday um it's worth i think it's 100 percent worth it yeah i mean it's a I, special club it's right next to lord de triumph wow that's so beautiful amazing yeah it's a it's an emblematic club you know they've had like some of the biggest performers um they had some of the biggest brands such as live miami mm -hmm. everybody from drake to dj snake Wow. Neymar to Ronaldinho have attended the venue or performed at the venue. So it's like a really big, big really deal. Yeah. They're really big in the hip hop space, mm. but they, they do Deep House on Thursdays and Afro House on Thursdays. Oh, cool. So I, I'm actually going to be performing with them on a residency basis once a month, starting in May. I will play. Oh, you're going May to play back once a month? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the uh, life crazy. of the touring DJ. I know. Wow. Good luck with that. Um, and just, I really want to have time to touch on your label. I really want to talk about Deep Root Records because you probably haven't come across this, but I actually incidentally wrote about Deep Root Records uh, in one of my pieces wow. a few months ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Which, what publication? It, for Grey Area. Um, it was a piece That's on so cool. black-owned record labels that I did some research Thank about. You. Thank you for the support. It was one of my top ones. Uh, big, big fan. So, um, I mean, yeah, let's talk a bit. So kind of you've hosted sort of house music legends like like Roland Clark and then the label platforms, like lots of talent from all around the world. I mean, how do you how do you come across the talent and, and what was kind of the original vision for it? Okay, the original vision was just to create a space for house music, classic house music, because when we launched Deep Records, as I told you, there was a big EDM bubble. Mm. It was either people were playing big room, like, tum, 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 yeah. or, or <laughs> hip hop. So it was just one or the other, and you got to stick to your religion. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I like classic house. I love Todd Terry. I love Roger Sanchez. I, I, you know, I, I love Eric Murillo. I just want to, I want to live the house music that feels good. And it was just non-existent in New York. And I was like, you know what? Let me just make a little collective. I'm going to get together with some artists and we're going to try to like play this music, produce this music. And we started doing like showcases, small events under the Deep Records umbrella. Mm -hmm. And it worked. There was like, it was small, but it worked. And then the vision behind the label was while I was doing this, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be by myself. I always like working with other people. So I had like a couple of friends that were producers. So I said, you know what? Let's join together. So I, so we worked with uh, Dean Mikowski from Macedonia and Kosi from Mexico. They were both like close friends of mine. So we were like, okay, let's, let's try this together. And there were like another duo called Posse. Mm -hmm. 
from New York as well. So we started a little collective and it, we, we had a space and I, I linked up with a friend of mine who's now our co-founder and also my manager. His name is Ajamu Kamban. Um, we launched a label, we launched this little collective and it, it, it went from organizing small two, 300 person shows to one day we were like, listen, we should make this become a label. We should actually try and sign some artists. And we just formalized the, the business. Because as you know, having studied, uh, uh, having a, a background in finance and whatnot and statistics, I'm very business oriented. So I was like, okay, let's let's make this into something. And so yeah, create create a structure. And it went from small label to then we created a licensing department, which which helped us um, create quite some revenue over the years. And uh, from there it, it it really picked up. It really picked up. It hasn't it hasn't stopped since and our events department is really solid. You know, that was one of the one of the founding departments of the label. Our, our, our label department has grown. Our music department has grown a lot. We, we represent nowadays about 150 masters on the label side, and we represent 500 plus songs for second licensing. Wow. I, uh, oh, I think you froze. Okay, good. Um, I, uh, I love to hear these stories you know, about these collectives taken off because um, a lot of my friends here in London are kind of running their own like small labels and collectives, just getting them off the ground. Like it's really cool to hear, you know, where people can get if they stick at it. And um, and I'm sure coming at it, you know, from a practical perspective really helps as well. Absolutely. But, uh, but it was just, it was just initially just, a, a, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to try myself in the music industry, let me try and put like a little group together with a few of my friends and artists that I believe in. Because if I don't make it, at least someone from my group will be able to make it. And from there, you know, we could go together. Definitely. Plus, I mean, I always- and that's kind of- Yeah. And that's, that, that's kind of what helped us grow because um, we had every artist pushing their own angle. And at first, you know, we had, um, Dean Mikoski learned some success with collaborations with Eric Murillo, and he worked uh, with Roland Clark. He worked with Shawnee Taylor, which is like huge singers. And, you know, he, we, we worked with Dean, so he's like a very, very good producer and friend of ours. So he released another label from there. And that's how, you know, we started working with Roland Clark. Kosti, on the other hand, our, our Mexican, huge licensing placements over the years can you hear me uh yeah sorry i think you're freezing a bit maybe it's your wi-fi i think mine is it's better now yeah very possible you know i'm in mexico so i'm in tulum yeah it could be <laughs> don't worry about it of the jungle so yeah don't worry don't worry we got, we got wi-fi hiccups <laughs> it's okay we've done really good so far so all good yeah. and um yeah, so our, our, our mexican artists he had like huge placements everyone from samsung to juventus to apple wow. to Nike. um so that's a prime example you know dean mccoskey had like public success with collaborations with eric morello huge records Kosi had like a phenomenal success in the second licensing side which created quite some revenue for the label mm. and these their success stories happened before mine you see, and now as a third counterpart, that's why sometimes growing together can be beneficial. So yeah, I'm happy to say that I like to support artists. I like to empower artists because if good things happen to your friends, good things will happen to you as well. Definitely, 100%. To see a friend happy is to be happy in my books. Exactly, right. And it's the best fun. I mean, I love to do you kind of any kind of projects with my friends. You know, it's, it's the dream um so kind of uh moving on a bit there um let's talk briefly about kind of your your own plans or maybe the labels plans for 2022 okay oh that's uh well for me personally <laughs> i will be i will be releasing um a record a month for the next 
two years, probably. <laughs> next 12 years. Wow. The, not 12 years, the next 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the next the next 12 months. Okay. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be I will attempt to release a record a month in the next 12 months. It's gonna be t- most likely one with a label partner, and then in the, every other one on my own label, just to have a good variety. I try to release in different labels just to expand my reach and you know to be able to reach different audience and different fan base. And I like to release also on my own imprint for you know our team to have like as much creative input as possible. And to keep it organic, that's why we started Deep Root to begin with. And for 2022 is going to be my biggest year in terms of shows. Um, I am so blessed and so happy to see that I will be playing. In the next six weeks, I think in 12 different cities, I will be taking 27 flights. I will play in, uh, yeah, I will play. I will play in Montreal, New York, Boston. Um, Cape Town. I'll be going to South Africa for the first time. Oh, me too. Very soon in June. Really? Okay. <laughs> uh, I will be going end of April. Okay. Cool. Then Nairobi in Kenya. Cool. Then Madrid. Then Paris. Then Dubai. Wow. Then uh, <laughs> I will play a festival in Morocco. Then I will come back to the U.S. to play at, in Miami. Then at EDC Las Vegas. And I will finish with New York uh, for the wow. month. Of- so good. it's going to be, and also I will play Toronto as well in between. So it's going to be like, it's a really inspiring time for me, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because I've been working towards that for a decade, right? Yeah. So Francis Mercy is, is live, live and moving. <laughs> This is live and moving, yes. In a very special event we just confirmed with Grey Area, I will be playing Elro. Oh, I actually was not aware of that, so very exciting. Elro is massive. It's such a big, big one to put your name to. So congratulations. At Brooklyn Mirage. So that that will happen in July. So it's gonna be the the summer of Francis. The summer of Francis. I have dates confirmed in Ibiza as well. Yeah, I will play in Ibiza as well in May. Cool. So it's going to um, be all over the place. You, you get know? to travel so much now. I wish maybe I chose the wrong profession. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I don't think you chose the wrong profession. I think, you know, there, I'm sure there's a sweet spot. Yeah, can, no. You get to speak with I'm all sure the it's, it's very tiring as well. You know, yeah, it, it can be you. intense. It can be intense. I mean, this past weekend, uh, with full transparency, I slept like 10 hours in three days. Oh, my God. <laughs> Last night, I mean, today, just two hours because I was at Black Coffee till 9 a.m. And uh, at Zamna, I was with him till the very end. To, he had to go to the airport after, together with Timba and uh, and uh, Angelos. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, so t- it's demanding. It's demanding. If you really want to succeed, you have to put yourself out there. You have to network. You have to attend shows. You also have to perform. You have to produce. It's a lot. Definitely. But it's it's worth it in the end. And I'm very happy to see, you know, the 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 flowers blossoming. Yeah. I feel well from from everything that we've spoken about today, it sounds like uh you really deserve it after all of those that Thank you. Thank and you. Drive. So congratulations. <laughs> and um So that brings us on to the kind of little speed round. So these are just meant to be fun. So just answer whatever comes to your mind. It's not a trick question, I promise. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. So who would be your ideal B2B partner? Solomon. Oh, okay. And which artist, dead or alive, would you most like to see live? Black Coffee. He's alive, but I just want to see him every time. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. And can you name one track that was particularly, I think you did already actually, but one track that was very influential in your journey in dance music? Uh, one More Time by Daft Punk. Mm, okay. And if you could invite anyone in the world to a dinner party, who would it be? Anyone in the world? anyone i would say blondish okay she's always always fun she's always fun (laughs) i've never had 
we we had dinner and it was really nice so i, I always love to have her in my in my company amazing we'll make sure that she gets the memo full of energy so supportive and Aww. it's a great, great person to have in your circle really nice and i'm very happy to be able to collaborate with her definitely and, yeah having dinner with her is always a is always a treat oh <laughs> she's, she's quite busy so you know it's, it's it's a little bit tough to keep up because she has uh, a lot of nft projects she has oh. her, her bye-bye plastic foundation she's yeah, also making music yeah and she's touring a lot so it's tricky but whenever whenever she's in new york we always get to like see each other for a bit and that's always nice so lovely and um if you could make a track with anyone, who would it be? Uh, that's an easy one. Black Coffee. <laughs> Big Black Coffee fan. Yeah, yeah I, like, I like the music. I like I like his music. I mean, Black Coffee, Tiesto, all the greats, Pete Tong, you know, Pete these Tong. Dead or Alive, obviously, probably Bob Marley, you know, that would be really nice. And for sure, Alive Diplo, that would be really cool. Yeah. Because he's Bob Marley, what a combination! Yeah, he's like uh, <laughs> he's like uh, a source, an open source of music, an open dictionary. Yeah, he's got any kind of music, he's there, and I love yeah. that. You know, it's true. He's established himself. And would you rather um, a start a new project or tie up loose ends? Start a new project. Okay. Yeah. And always. yeah, I always ask this one to producers because I know personally a lot of producers that start so many things and struggle to, to tie up. My management will, will light uh, a fire. Exactly. <laughs> me, but I like to start new project. <laughs> it's more fun. And would you rather <clears throat> never hear your favorite track again or hear your least favorite track at every venue that you visit? It, uh, uh hear my favorite track okay yeah and a would you rather go to and have an extravagant meal or go to a concert concert of course very good and um museum or an amusement park amusement park oh, okay everyone said that so far but i, I would have thought Interesting. Lots of adrenaline junkies in the dance music industry, it seems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, that's actually everything for today. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, maybe for having I'll see you at some of your gigs. And Absolutely. I would love to stay in touch. Definitely. Yeah, let's do it. Hello.